The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, welcome and thank you so much for choosing to join us online today, wherever you're at, however you're watching. I, just, I hope that you're doing well. I know that as we get into August, there's school starting, there's school not starting. It's just a really crazy season for all of us to navigate. And, and I, I want to say this over and over and over again. It's, it's imperative, I think, in a time of great uncertainty for us to make sure and realize there is still truth. There are things that we can anchor ourselves and our lives to. And one of those things is the word of God. And so at Summit, that's what we do. We just walk through the Bible. We're in the book of Philippians. We're starting chapter three today. And actually the section of scripture that I'm wanting to cover is 16 verses long, but there's no way that we can get through that in one message. So this is actually going to be a two-part sermon series within the book of Philippians over the first 16 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Uh, so we're going to look at the first eight today, and then we'll get the rest of it next week. But it's, some, it's a passage that I think is really important for us to see. There is an idea or a concept within Scripture, and one that I hope that we all feel from time to time, but there is joy that comes from our salvation. Meaning this, If you have faith in Jesus Christ because of his grace, because of his love, then you have eternal life now and forever. And there should be a comfort and a joy that comes from that truth. Hey, by the love of God, I am his, he is mine, and we will be together forever. There's joy that comes from that. And especially, especially in trying times and when trying circumstances arise, when we know that, hey, worst case scenario, if I don't make it through this, I get Jesus. And, and I'm good with that. I'm good with that because the things these, the world offers is not really what's driving me. It's Jesus that's driving me. So there's joy that comes from our salvation. But in the passage today in Philippians chapter three, there are a group of people that have found their way into the church. And what they're trying to do honestly is rob people of that joy. What they're doing is they're saying, hey, your salvation that is in Jesus, it has some more strings attached to it. There's some things that you need to add on to faith by grace in order to know that you're saved. And anytime, anytime someone changes the gospel message or specifically adds to it, saying that it's more than just Jesus, it's more than just faith, the New Testament says, nope, no, 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 that's not the case. That's not truth. And anytime we add to the gospel, anytime we add anything to Jesus for salvation, we are robbing ourselves of the joy that comes from that salvation. And so that's what Paul is trying to address today. That's what he's trying to speak to the church in Philippi. And he begins in Philippians chapter three, verses one through three. Further, my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. Make sure that you have joy in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So apparently they've already heard this message before. He says, verse two, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the true circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. What Paul's saying there in those first three verses, is he's saying, hey, church, make sure you're finding your joy in Jesus, not in the things of this world, not in the things you can boast in, not in your good works. Make sure you're finding your joy in him. It appears that Paul's had to address this once before at the church in Philippi, but you know, as I say, sometimes it's the simplest truths that we need to hear over and over and over and over again. So a great pastor, Paul being one, he reminds his people of these truths again and again until, until they get it. And he's hoping that this reminder will be a safeguard. But a safeguard against what? What is the threat? What is he trying to protect the church in Philippi from? Well, he says it's these false teachers. And he has some horrible words to say about them. He calls them dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. But what they were, they were known as Judaizers, okay? That's a term you're probably not familiar with, but these were Christians, people who had placed their faith in Jesus, but they came from a Jewish background, heritage, family, faith, And they said, hey, even though we've got Jesus now, we still need the rest of it. We still need circumcision and the law of Moses. We need it because they need to be married together. And Paul, who was a Jew, and we'll see he was a Jew of all Jews, would understand their position better than many. But this group of Judaizers, they followed Paul from church to church. And specifically when he would go to a Gentile church, a non-Jewish church, like the church in Philippi, they would come in right behind him as soon as he left. And they start going, hey, what he forgot to tell you about the Bible is that there's all these other things you need to do. It's not just about faith in Jesus. You, you need to be circumcised. You, you need to follow the law of Moses. And they would start to infiltrate the church with this gospel, including works. And Paul's gospel, his truth, never included works. And he didn't want them to be deceived by this group. And as you're thinking, well, that doesn't, that, how does that apply to me? That's, that's something that was happening 2,000 years ago. The history kind of makes sense that they're, it's new. They're, they're trying to figure things out, but we unfortunately still do it today. Unfortunately, even today, there are people who say, you are saved by grace through faith and good church attendance. Don't claim to be a Christian if you're not willing to walk in these four walls. That's not the gospel. It's not what saves you. There are people who believe the sacraments. And for us, we have two sacraments, baptism and communion. Beautiful, holy things, both found in scripture. But there's some of you listening today who truly believe that you are not saved until you're baptized. That's not what we believe here. And that's not what I think is found in scripture. My, uh, my baptism was August 6th, 1994. I'll remember that day forever. The reason I remember it is because three weeks earlier, I had come back from a church camp, having placed my faith in Jesus and walked forward on a Sunday morning wanting to be baptized. So in the middle of July, I walked forward, wanted to be baptized, but I wanted the friend that had brought me to church 
the friend that had shared the gospel with me, I wanted him to get to baptize me. We had a plan within the youth ministry for that to happen. Well, the senior pastor came down, greeted me, said, hey, what do you want to do? I said, I want to get baptized. He said, that's awesome. We'll do that right now. And I said, but I want my friend to do it. And he goes, oh, well, that's a problem. And it turns out that they were very uncomfortable with two 14-year-olds jumping in the baptistry and allowing me to be baptized. So it took three weeks, three weeks for us to figure all this out. I don't think there's anyone today who would say that somehow had I passed, somehow had I died in those three weeks, having not been able to be baptized because of a weird technicality that I wasn't going to be in heaven, but yet there are people who teach that within our churches. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's salvation by grace through faith alone. But then it's baptism or it's communion or it's church attendance. And that's what these Judaizers had done in Philippi. And Paul says, this cannot be. He said, we, we, the church, we are the true circumcision. Now, that's an interesting term because he calls them mutilators and he calls the true believers the circumcision. It's just a beautiful play on words is all that is. Don't be thrown off by that term. He says, we're the true believers because we understand the gospel. We get this. We know what's happening. And then Paul lays out at the end of verse three, the three things that the true circumcision or the true believers will do. It's not workspace. It's not what saves you, but this is, this is what they're going to do. They're not going to go follow the law. This is the three things they will do. They will serve God. You see that there in verse three, serve God by his spirit. They will boast in Jesus and they will put no confidence whatsoever in the flesh. And the reason that this message is a two-part message is because we're only going to be able to look at one of those three things today and we'll pick up the other two next week. So in the verses to follow, verses four through eight, Paul actually goes in reverse order through that list. So the one thing, the one thing we're gonna look at today is that true believers will not, will not boast in the flesh. They will not put confidence in the flesh in the things of this world. They're not gonna trust their salvation in their own works or the things of this world. Put no confidence in the flesh. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. Though I myself, I have reasons for such confidence, confidence in the worldly things, fleshly things. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I actually have more. Here's my list. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. True believers will not put their confidence in the flesh. They will put their confidence in the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants him to know this. If anyone, if anyone had a right to trust in their resume, to trust that God would save them because of how great they were. Paul goes, I would be one of the top ones on this list. If you have confidence in circumcision, if you have confidence in the law, I have more reason to boast in that, but I don't, I don't. I don't do anything like that because I value God as higher. Now, let's just walk through his list real quick. 
because this is a foreign concept to many of us because we don't understand first century Jewish practices, customs. But let's walk through this very quickly. When Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, here's what that meant. He was a genuine Jew from birth. He wasn't a proselyte. What that means is someone who wasn't born Jewish and came to faith later. He was circumcised on the eighth day, the day of dedication. He was taken to the temple and a priest performed that saying, this is a real son of Abraham. This is a true Jew. He says, I was of the people of Israel, which gets him even closer to the best family that you can be in. Jacob, okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis. You can read the story. It's pretty incredible. He comes out of that. He perseveres through that. And then God says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. You're going to be the head of this family, of this tribe. And Paul's saying, I'm a direct descendant of Jacob. He said, but then one more thing. There were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. The best tribe was the son Benjamin. And he goes, I'm actually of the tribe of Benjamin. One of the sons of Jacob's most beloved wife, Rachel. He was the only son, Benjamin, that was actually born in the promised land. He was the only tribe of the 12, Benjamin was, that stayed faithful through the whole reign of Judah. Now you're going, what, what is all this? It's literally the whole Old Testament. And for the people that Paul is talking to, they would have had much better knowledge of this than maybe you or I do. But he's saying, look, at, with every one of these steps, I am becoming more and more the perfect follower of God. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning both of his parents were Jews. They were not Hellenistic Jews. They were full blood Jews. And then he said, there's things I could boast about religiously concerning the law of Moses. What was I? I, I was a Pharisee. What are the Pharisees? Well, they're basically a, a political group, but they were highly religious. They belonged to their own sect that was known for their loyalty and patriotism and conservatism towards the law of Moses. They were the religious elite and everyone knew that to become a Pharisee, you had to prove your mustard. And he did, he did, and he did it well. He was a Pharisee concerning his zeal for the Jewish faith. He loved the Jewish faith so much that he persecuted the church. So you have this upstart Christian church that's kind of exploding throughout the Middle East. And what does Paul do? He says, I'm gonna crush it. I'm going to come out and I'm going to arrest people. I'm going to watch people be martyred right in front of me. That's how much I love my faith. That's how much I am a Jew of all Jews. And then concerning righteousness, which is the law, he says, I was blameless. Now that's a hard phrase to interpret because he's not saying he was perfect. Jesus was the only perfect one. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is every time I failed and failed, fell short of the law of Moses, I did the prescribed sacrifice for that failure. It's, it's no different than us. We are covered by grace through faith. Our sins have been forgiven, but we have to ask for forgiveness. The, the law of Moses was no different. You just had to offer up an animal as a sacrifice. And he did that. He said, every time you could not call me out for one thing that I've ever done, that I did not do what I was supposed to do to be right in the eyes of the law. He makes this incredibly profound list that describes him in the first century as quite frankly, one of the greatest religious people there could have ever possibly been. 
And then he says this in verse seven and eight. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've lost all things. But all this, that whole list, everything that, that I've lost, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That in the end, I may get Jesus. This list of worldly things to boast in, things of the flesh to put our trust in. He says, I've got the best list of any one of you. And here's what I think about it. It's garbage. Because those things don't save. Because those things don't bring joy. They're garbage. I count them as loss. There are many things that Paul lost in his life when he chose to follow Jesus. He was on the fast track to be a great leader within Jerusalem, a big shot of big shots. That's where he was heading. Yet he compared all of that, everything that he lost by choosing to follow Jesus, he considered them rubbish. And that word literally means dung and potty humor is not appropriate in church, but he's saying they're poop. They're smelly. They're not, they're, there's no use for them. I don't want them around. I don't need to have them. They're garbage. They're dung. They're rubbish. I don't want them. So then for today, I, I just wonder, what about you? What about me? Where is my confidence? In what do I boast? Where does my joy come from? For Paul, he says, I don't want you to boast or rejoice in anything except Jesus Christ. That's, that's what Paul's saying. That's the only treasure. That's the only thing of real value. All this stuff that the world offers, all of the great things that you may believe put you in debt to God or will cause him to value you higher, they're nothing compared to knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, trusting Jesus. We do try to put God in our debt by boasting about things of this world, about things that we do, our flesh. I've heard all of these, so I made a little list, okay? I've heard all these, so these are true things, and I hope that none of the people that said these remember so they know that I'm talking about them. But I've seen someone boast in the fact that they had perfect Sunday school attendance from third to fifth grade. They boasted in that. I've, I've heard that. I heard someone tell me how proud they were that they were baptized in the Jordan River. Now that's where Jesus got baptized. That'd be really cool. Kind of wish I could do that. But they, they literally made it sound like they were special because they were baptized in the Jordan River. 
I've heard people say, I've been baptized twice. I've been baptized twice. Got, got a little bit in the Catholic Church as a baby. Got, you know, told you 1994, did again. I've heard people boast in that, saying this is something that, that I've done that may earn me favor with God. I've heard people say, I've tithed on every dime I've ever made. It's awesome. It's biblical. I, I commend you for that. But just the sentiment seemed to kind of be saying, God ought to be really impressed with that. I'm kind of a super Christian. You know, I, there's not a dime that's ever come through my pocket that I haven't given a penny back to him. I've heard people say, I volunteer at the homeless shelter. That's amazing. It's biblical. It's good. Like everything about these things are very good things, but they're not things that we can boast in. They're not things that we can trust in. I've heard people say, I volunteer in the children's ministry. And you know what? They should get extra praise. I think there's a very special place in heaven for those who volunteer in children's ministry. But you can't count on it. You can't boast in it. I don't think one person listening today would think that any of those things that I just mentioned actually saved them. I don't think anyone would say, I'm going to heaven because I tithe or because I was baptized in the Jordan River or because I serve in the children's ministry. I don't think anyone would say that's what's getting them into heaven. But I think for many of us, we boast in those things because we believe that one, it either puts God in our debt, meaning somewhere down the road, I can look at him and go, hey man, you owe me. You owe me for what I've done for you. Or it truly makes them think these things make God love them more. And I just want to tell you, church, here's what the gospel says. You are saved and loved because of the grace, the unmerited favor of God. Not because of anything you do. And I know for some of you overachievers, that is crushing. But for those of you like me that are underachievers and horribly sinful, it's very, very comforting to know that there is nothing that I can do to cause God to love me more or love me less because he's God and his scale is a scale of grace. What Paul says here is so clear, so clear. I will not boast in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ. My greatest joy comes from the fact that I know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is with me and I am with him. And even though I have lost so much of what the world said was good to follow him, I would trade it again tomorrow because it's like rubbish to me compared to knowing him. It's Jesus, church, and nothing else. Nothing else. And so as a true believer, if that's what you claim to be, then I pray that today, today, you would be able to ask yourself this question. Is there anything in my life, in this world, that I am holding to so tightly because I believe it either puts God in my debt or makes him love me more? Is there anything like that? And if so, just like Paul, you would say, you know what? 
for the sake of Christ, I will turn down the praise and the credit and the boasting. I will still do what the Bible calls me to do, but I'm not going to think for one second that this is going to get me into heaven or cause God to love me more. Because there's nothing, there's nothing church that can do that. It's only Jesus. So I pray today that for everyone listening, you would trust in him, you would boast in him. And as true believers, it would be Jesus plus nothing else. Father, thank you for Jesus and his all-sufficient grace that covers over a multitude of sins that allows us to walk through this world as those who have been forgiven. I pray that for those who do not know you, Lord, that your grace would call them by name, that they would put their faith in you for salvation, that they would serve you and follow you and be obedient to you, but Lord, not to boast in what they've done or what they've accomplished, but Lord, just to know you more. I thank you for Jesus. May we all find our sufficiency in him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.